Today's guest is Sergeant Kendall Booth. Here's our job talk with a police officer. Welcome to the Job Talk podcast, where we talk with people who love their jobs. Our guests open up about their challenges, surprises, and secrets to success in their industries. Through conversation, we explore their careers, past work experiences, and the education that got them to where they are now. What I like to do in these podcasts, um, I like to take you back to when you were a high school student. What kind of student were you in high school, Kendall? Oh, it's been a while. Um, to be honest, uh, in high school, I went to more of a private high school. So for me, I would go to school, my subject's usually about half a day, and then I'd work the other half to, uh, to pay for my student bills. So uh, to be honest, I was probably an average student in uh, most subjects. Of course, I preferred some to others, like uh, social studies and English were my preferred subjects. Uh, I struggled, to be honest, a little bit with mathematics and some of those other ones. Um, and of course, I, I very much enjoy physical education because sports uh, are passion of mine. So, like I said, is uh, it was a great experience. Um, taught me to grow up a little bit, living a little bit more on my own, uh, working while I was going to school, uh, paying some bills, and doing things like that. So it was definitely a good life experience. What was your first post-secondary experience when you graduated from high school? So after graduating from high school, I actually went to. Uh, it was on the same campus, so it wasn't as much of a transition as it would be for, for some people. I lived in uh, student housing on campus um, on my own, so again, it was a little bit of a transition. A lot of the friends that I had in high school went to the same college. Um, I think the big things uh, for me going into college were just, um, it was a struggle to know what I was going to do, what I wanted to study. Uh, my first year was pretty much just general studies. Uh, from there, I went into elementary uh, education. And just like any other student, I suppose, I really did enjoy some of the subjects that I studied. Uh, other ones that I found were more general or not really applicable to what I wanted to do. Not so much. Uh, but for me, a couple of things I enjoyed as electives were psychology and sociology classes, just to study about people. And that, that was a four-year degree, I'm assuming, for education, or is it five years? No, correct. It was a four-year degree program. Um, I took some summer courses just to speed up a few things. Uh, so, again, uh, a bit of a compressed study schedule, I guess, on some. But uh, it was definitely a great experience. And I think, you know, just living there on campus for high school and college taught me to grow up in a few ways. And it was education. So was it elementary or high school that you were uh, leaning towards? It was elementary. I've always enjoyed working with uh, young people. Um, And to be honest, I didn't want to specialize in one subject area. I wanted to to generalize a little bit more. So I think a lot of education students probably find that in your courses, you learn a lot and it's a lot of subject material. But the true learning comes when you do your practicum, when you're actually out in the classroom interacting with the students, with the, uh, the teachers who will teach you a lot of the really useful knowledge. What was your first professional experience after graduating um, with your education degree? So actually my first uh, professional experience was I substitute taught in a few classrooms uh, right after I graduated, uh, which was a great experience. Um, every classroom is very different. Uh, and you really don't know what to expect coming into it. Um, 
but my first full-time uh, position is a classmate of mine and her husband had gone over to South Korea to teach for a couple of years. So after she came back, I spoke with her for a while, uh, learned some things. She put me in contact with someone over in South Korea who was uh, running an institute. And through that, I got a job uh, over in Korea. So try to cram as much knowledge as I could about the culture and the language before I, I went, which wasn't a lot. But uh, it was a, a really, a really interesting way to get into studying overseas. How many years did you live in uh, South Korea for? So that's a, it was funny because when I first went to Korea, my plan was for a year or two just to get the experience and pay off a few student loans, uh, have a chance to travel. I actually ended up staying for just over 13 years. Um, so it was uh, for quite a while. And the reason why I stayed for that long, honestly, was I, I really enjoyed the experience. Uh, I enjoyed the work that I was doing. And uh, I was had a chance to save a bit of money, but also to do a lot of traveling. I was fortunate enough to be able to travel to a lot of different areas in Asia, uh, Europe, Australia, and some other areas like that. Um, and just to learn so much about the culture, the people are very welcoming. Um, in that green culture and where I lived. So overall, uh, fantastic experience. How long did it take you to uh, gain an understanding and to be able to speak Korean, do you think? Uh, to, I suppose one person told me that you haven't really truly learned to speak a language until you dream in that language. Um, so for me, uh, I, I think it's really important for anybody who travels to really engross themselves in the culture um, because I found that a lot of my colleagues there would just hang out with other foreigners. They would go to expat bars, uh, and they didn't really learn as much as they could have. So uh, a good friend of mine and I uh, really spent a lot of time with our friends, our Korean friends. So whether that be students or friends outside the school, uh, involved in sports there, involved with some different clubs and activities. And also after being there, uh, for about a year and a half, I transferred to work at a university, which was quite a large uh, university. And um, my friend and I started taking our master's program at the university. But to do so, we had to pass a Korean language equivalency test, which I honestly failed the first time. Uh, it was pretty tough. So I had to take a lot of formal Korean classes. Um, the majority of it was language, but some of it was culture as well. And that's when I probably learned a little bit more of the formal history, the language and things like that, not just the daily conversations. So it did take me some time. It's a very different language than English, uh, structurally with the grammatical structure um, and the characters and, and so on. But uh, I think it, it was a great experience to, to learn some of those things and very beneficial in what I do now too. For sure. And we'll get right into that. Um, so you spent 13 years working and living in South Korea. Um, what made you decide to come back to Canada and where did you end up when you returned to Canada? So I think there were a few things. Um, one of the, well, the biggest reason why I stayed as long as I did is I uh, met someone in Korea and I got married there. Um, so the difference between, one of the bigger differences for youth uh, between Korea and Canada is just the amount of time they put into their studies. So our oldest son, um, when we started considering leaving Korea at the time, he was just entering into kindergarten. And even at such a young age, all of his uh, friends and classmates, they would typically go to school during the day and then they would go to usually anywhere between three to six private institutes uh, after school finished. 
So for most of those young people, uh, there wasn't much of a social life or like being a kid, to be honest. It was a lot of time spent in, in studies. Uh, and they would usually get home anywhere between eight and 10, even at that five, six-year-old uh, age group. So we looked at something a little bit different um, coming home to Canada, uh, just for my son, for my family. Uh, and then also just, I had been away from family for, for quite some time. Um, so it was a uh, consideration to come back, to move back to Canada, just to be closer to my family. So we started looking um, and we definitely started saving hard. Uh, housing price, like we started looking in 2006, housing prices were at a certain level. Um, but by the time we were actually moving back in 2008, uh, prices had almost doubled, which was a bit of a shock. Uh, but uh, I was fortunate someone connected me to the uh, college at Grand Prairie and they were looking for an instructor at Grand Prairie College. It was, it was really funny because um, we came back in February and when we came out of the Edmonton airport, it was about minus 35 degrees and my wife uh, never experienced anything like that before. So we came out of the airport hit those revolving doors, came outside, she just gasped, said nope, and turned around and went right back to the airport. Um, so it was a shock <laughs> in a lot of ways, moving uh, from Seoul, which is a huge city with a huge population and very dense, uh, to ending up in, in Grand Prairie. Yeah. And your wife settled into the Canadian culture well, and she enjoys it now, I'm assuming? Oh yeah, very much. Um, she's a very strong person in a lot of ways. Um, and thank, thankfully for that, uh, that she's she's uh, with me. But uh, she she really engrossed herself in a lot. You know, Canadian culture is not easy. But then you're looking at Northern Alberta, and that's uh, a different type of culture there too, right? So she really did um, engross herself in the culture in a lot of ways when we were there. Uh, we did make some really good friends up in Grand Prairie that we were sad to leave when we uh, when we did move, but. Yeah, it was an adjustment for sure. And even for me, the reverse culture shock after having lived in Korea for 13 years uh, to acclimatize myself back to the culture here in a lot of ways. Um, and of course, things had changed over the, the 13 years when I was gone too. So, For sure. When did you start to um, consider police service work? So about, um, I say six months to nine months into working at Grand Prairie College, I realized that long-term for my family, um, that wasn't the greatest position to be in just because of uh, the pay scale that they had there, the benefits and so on. Uh, so I started looking at alternative career paths, I guess. And I looked at a few things. I looked at the oil field, which, you know, could be extremely lucrative um, and to do some things there. But the, the family life balance wasn't the greatest in that type of career and the, the type of work I'd be doing. There's uh, a recruitment uh, advertisement that I actually saw when I was looking through different job opportunities for the Empton Police Service, they were going to be coming to Grand Prairie. So I uh, I sent them a message. They replied that they'd be coming at a certain date um, and to start with an application package. Let's talk about the, the training um, that you did to become a police officer. Um, let's talk about the things that you enjoyed, maybe what some of the challenges were through through training. What was that whole process like? You know, everyone comes into a process with some expectation, I guess, of things that they think the reality might be. Um, and I think, 
you know, being in education for 15 years prior to coming in probably served me well in the, the studying portion, like the scholastics and learning new material and, and just different ways to study and take tests and prepare and things like that. Um, so that portion for me coming in wasn't uh, too bad. Uh, of course, at that time I was 36 years old, so I was one of the older students in the class. It was more for me the, the physical portion of it, to be honest. Um, you know, we had just moved from Grand Prairie. We had uh, a three-month-old son, uh, our younger son at the time too. Um, so that uh, kind of the grind that you go through in class, the physical and mental fatigue every day that you experience, um, and trying to balance that with uh, you know family and life as well. It's not easy. Um, it is very difficult. There are certain um, experiences that you go through during recruit class that can be very mentally taxing or physically or a combination of both. There are certain days um, that they put you through certain experiences just to stress you on both physical and mental side. Um, so there, I never thought about quitting. That never really entered my mind. Um, but I know for some people, it was extremely difficult. Within the first few weeks, um, there are people who come to the realization that this may not be the career for them. Um, so I think of any class that starts either due to people making that choice or um, sometimes through um, an injury that happens, uh, the class doesn't uh, finish, the entire class doesn't finish. So it is one of those things, I think, the more you can prepare uh, going into that type of experience, the better you are when you're talking about being physically fit, knowing some uh, what some of those expectations might be going into class to be able to prepare for those. And then also just to talk to police members, um, people who have gone through it, uh, talking to the recruiting staff. And they're very open um, and, and really welcome the questions that come through because that will give you a better candidate and maybe people who truly are there for the right reasons and are willing to put in the work. Yeah, that's that's extremely important. Is 36 years old, is that considered uh, older to to be going through the, the training course? Uh, yeah, it's a little bit on the older side. Like there were people older than, than I was. Um, but, you know, for me, like I talked about the physical part of it, um, you know, we had someone in a class that was uh, a WHL hockey player uh, and was 21 years old coming to class in excellent physical condition. So when you're looking at competing with, uh, you know, someone who's 15 years younger and, uh, you know, made a living in sports and was around that type of environment all the time, that physical part of it, uh, it was a challenge. Um, so that's one of those things is I think, you know, they're not looking for you to be the same or in the same level. They're just looking to see if you're willing to push yourself and to challenge yourself to, to do the best that you can. What was what was enjoyable during your training? You must look at a few things that you were doing and maybe it was fun. Were, were there any moments where you were uh, actually enjoying some of the f physical activities that you were doing? Yeah, it is funny, you know, coming into class, they say, you know, there'll be memories that you always have and some really enjoyable things. Uh, and I think if you focus on some of those positive things, it really does help uh, because some things are difficult. I think a lot of it is the friendships uh, that you form because you go through that same experience with the other people in that class. Um, so again, learning some of those people you can depend on when you're in a stressful situation um, and just looking at the reaction and the strengths of different people in your class that knowing later on when you're in the same career together, maybe you can rely on some of those strengths that other people have 
when you're going through a certain experience or, or need someone that has that skill set or that strength. And then also the training staff, um, really good training staff. And some of the people that were in training, I still uh, will call to ask for advice or um, just, you know, connection to different things that I might need uh, for different parts of my career. So those are some really positive experiences uh, that I had. Yeah, for sure. How, how long is the training period? So this is something I was trying to remember the other day. And of course, I think my memory isn't always correct when you start to think back. Some days seem like an eternity and then some things seem to go pretty quick. Um, so I honestly can't give an exact date. Uh, basically the phases of it though, like we were in the actual recruiting center, the recruit class. Um, I can't remember if it was like for five months or something like that, um, that we are in that environment. And then we go to what's called block two, which you go out on the street with their training officer and you're actually taking calls for service uh, as an officer on the street. And you go through that phase and you're evaluated continually throughout that phase. Um, so there's definitely some checks and balances there. Um, and then at that time, there was our graduation, uh, but then we had a probation period that we went through um, for a certain amount of time. And then we came back for a final block for two weeks just to tie everything up. Uh, I think the process has changed now where I don't think they go back for that third block. Um, but I think, you know, through time, just like any other organization, they found some things that they could definitely change and, and to make better over time. So that's something that uh, in talking to recruits, I go to train recruits on some of the things that I do now. And uh, it seems like just a better process than what it was when I went through. When you graduate uh, in into becoming a full-fledged police officer, um, is it called patrol? Is that what you go to first? Or what? what is the first experience being a police officer? Yeah, so they actually, uh, when I went out, what they did is for uh, two weeks, you uh, basically um, come out and you're shown around the division where you're going to be working, which is a patrol division. So you're shown around some of the community resources that we had, some of the different offices within uh, our patrol division station, um, some of the different areas of the area uh, that we were going to be working in. Um, so an area, um, so we, for example, we spent one day with our beats officers on foot um, walking into an area that's, you know, has a little bit more of uh, that disorder within the community um, and just learning how to talk to people on the street um, because that was, you know, a, a very difficult thing. You can go through as many scenarios as you want, as much training as you want, but the actual getting out, talking to real people in real situations, um, that is a very steep learning curve as well. For sure. Um, and being a part of the community, you are a part of the community. Um, could you talk a little bit? I want to get into the position that you're in now and your day-to-day -day work with that. But can you give our listeners um, an idea of what a typical day looked like when you were uh, on patrol? Yeah, so coming out on patrol, I mean, the, the start of your day uh, was pretty much the same. Where you go in, you'd have your workout before shift began. Uh, you get to your equipment ready, you get dressed, you make sure you have a car a radio for the day because we share cars all the time. So you have to make sure that your car has gas, that your car is cleaned out, that there's nothing in the car that shouldn't be, nothing remaining from the day before or whatever else it is. Uh, just to make sure you're, everything's ready to go. Uh, for me, typically I'd go in early because I like to, to make sure everything's ready to go and I'd have any outstanding reports or any other work uh, from the, either the set before or the day before uh, was finished. So then I was clear and, and the day 
uh, was open for me to take whatever came up. Then what we do is the beginner shift, uh, we would go in with our squad and our sergeant would lead what we call a parade. And in that parade, they give us the information around what's happening, uh, current events or outstanding things that might be happening, things to be aware of. And then also they'd let us know who we'd be working with if we had a partner for the day and then what area of our division we'd be working in. So kind of just assigning that, that work partnership and that workload uh, that you'd be doing as well. But beyond that, there is no typical day. When you come out of the station and go to your car and you just let the, our dispatcher know, whatever's out there, send me to the first call. So that could be anything from uh, someone complaining. I've been to a call where a neighbor complained that uh, their neighbor cut a swath in their grass, which is uh, fairly low key. It's just a neighbor dispute. Um, anything to that, or I've uh, come on to someone being shot as I logged on and you're going straight to that. So again, um, the typical day is atypical where you could be faced with, with anything at all. What position are you in now? And can we talk a little bit about what your day-to-day -day is with, with the job that you're doing right now? Sure. Um, so I was promoted to a supervisory position of a, a sergeant about five years ago. And I started uh, in a patrol division and it was a sergeant there for a few years. I, after that, went to downtown Beats, um, which is that foot and on bike typically during the day. And uh, then I came to where I'm presently, which is in the uh, young people uh, or young person branch. So basically, I am in charge of a unit called Diversion First. And what our unit does is for frontline officers, when they respond to a call, and a youth has committed a criminal offense, they uh, investigate and they can make that determination if that offense is a non-violent offense, which includes just a simple assault or some other types of uh, offenses that uh, meet our mandate, is that instead of laying a criminal charge, that they can refer that youth to our program. And once we receive that uh, referral, we gather some information that we might have about uh, that youth or the situation. And then we'll do a call with their um, caregiver, whether that be a parent or group home provider or grandparent or whoever it is, uh, we'll do something called an intake with them. And we'll go through a structured conversation with them to find out more about that youth and the situation they're in. Um, and again, we're looking to provide not only support for that youth, but also um, who's around them. So whether that be parents, grandparents, group home, um, other people in their life that are important to them. Uh, we then host what's called an agreement meeting. Uh, so in that agreement meeting, typically uh, we will bring either one of our formal partners, which is the YMCA and Boys and Girls Clubs, Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Edmonton area, and we will bring in one of their staff with us. And in that meeting, what we do with that youth, with their caregiver, with that youth worker and with us, is we will go through a few different steps. We will look for that youth to tell us what happened. So their account of what happened on that day, what happened, why they made that decision, what was behind it. And again, we're just looking to see if they take ownership of what had happened there. Then we're looking at um, how, do we, how do we make that right? So we're, we use like a restorative justice approach in that we want to make sure 
that that youth understands what happened, and then also how do we make it right, whether it be um, if they assaulted a student at school. So how do we bring um, more of that closure for both sides on what happened and, and a better understanding of each other? Uh, for example, another thing might be um, shoplifting. We deal with shoplifting files quite often. So uh, in a shoplifting file, quite often we'll have the youth write out an apology letter. And that's one of the hardest things for them to do just because they have to think about what happened, why that happened, and how it impacted others. And that's a big thing we focus on too, is who have you impacted with your decision? And it kind of widened that scope of understanding, right? Because most youth, they're kind of thinking about, you know, how does this affect me? So when you start having that conversation, I had one yesterday, it was, who did you impact? They said, well, um, you know, me and the store. And that's the start of the conversation. But then you keep that conversation going. You know, your parents have to take a phone call from the police. Um, the police have to take the time to come and investigate and away from maybe in a violent offense they could be investigating. Um, and again, widening that scope of understanding, which is really important, especially for young people and how their actions impact other people. But then we also look at the driving factors behind some of these behaviors. Uh, so if you look at a lot of the youth that we uh, work with uh, have either mental health uh, or addictions or experiencing homelessness. Uh, there might be a conflict in the family, uh, a really unsafe situation at home sometimes. So again, we look at what's going on in their life and then what can we connect that youth and or family or support to uh, to strengthen them going forward to increase their resiliency. Uh, so we look to work with a lot of different community organizations. Uh, over the past year, we've worked with over 90 uh, community organizations in the Edmonton, uh, city of Edmonton and area to connect those youth to. And we want those connections to continue on as long as needed. So we only work with the youth typically between one to two months, uh, sometimes a little longer if needed. But we basically want to be that bridge to those needed supports that continue on after we're done with them. So that is the, the second part of what we focus on. And then third, we look at opportunity. So for a lot of our youth as well, um, they may be looking for opportunity, whether that be job skill training and a connection to prospective employment. Uh, that might be um, activities. So uh, the city of Edmonton, we can use the rec centers when we're working with their youth. Uh, we use the YMCA in their facilities quite often. So again, working with a lot of different uh, areas, again, sport, recreation, um, we work with different groups with art, um, and a lot of these different things just to look for opportunity for that youth. Um, we have some really cool opportunities uh, you know, with recording music um, and getting studio time and working with artists and things like that. So getting these youth uh, engaged in pro-social activities that can continue on. Would you say that's maybe what you love most about what you're doing right now? Um, make it, you're obviously making a difference in, in their lives. Um, what, what do you love about the work that you're doing? You know, patrol is a, a great position to be in because you get to help people who are in immediate crisis quite often. Um, but the difficulty about patrol is quite often you go to a situation, you resolve it, but you don't see the long-term effect or what happens after you leave. Um, the benefit about the position I'm in right now 
is I get to see that progress. I get to see the original occurrence, what happened, and that unfortunate choice. But then I get to see that opportunity come for this youth, for that youth to go through a process. And then at the end, what's changed for that youth and their supports, whether it be parents or family or whatever else. And we get to document that because that original report, if it was left as is, shows that youth made a bad choice, there was a criminal occurrence, and that's it. Whereas now we are able to add to that report successful to show the things that they have done and the, you know where they're at by the time they're done. So for anybody reading that report within the police down, down the road can see all these positive things they've done and the connections they have now. So just to give a very general example, one of the youth we worked with was addicted, um, homeless, um, being exploited, uh, to working with this youth. This youth is now back in school, um, is getting job skills, uh, is attending an addictions program as well. So just to be able to see that change um, and the change in attitudes toward police as well. Like they've had a lot of negative interactions with police because of the lifestyle before. But now uh, that increased trust um, and being willing to say, you know what, uh, we've had several youth who disclose things that have happened to them that they previously uh, weren't willing or didn't feel safe enough to disclose that now they have, so. Is there anything that you know now after being a, having a career as a police officer that you wish you knew before you went into becoming a police officer? Yeah, I, I think uh, there are always with any profession, I think a few things that you look back and say, well, it would have been nice to know beforehand. This job uh, is not an easy job. Um, there are things that you will see and hear that will affect you for the rest of your life. And because of the things they see, hear, experience, um, throughout their career, it does change people. Um, sometimes in a positive way, uh, but sometimes it can be um, a little more in a negative way. So I think just knowing who you are and being strong in who you are um, really does help, but also have those supports um, and be honest with those supports and ask them to be, to be honest with you. Are there any um myths that you'd like to dispel about police officers or a career being a police officer? Well, yeah, the first one is we don't all like donuts. We don't, <laughs> right? Uh, and, and the funny part about that, though, is that before becoming a police officer, I didn't drink coffee at all. Um, but because of shift work uh, and the grind, like there are sometimes uh, when I was in patrol where I would work from 9 p.m. to 8 in the morning and then have to attend court to testify during the day and then go back work that night and then back in court again the next day. So, you know, it is very difficult. It's very hard on you to do those things. So, yes, uh, police do often drink coffee. That's true. But the donut part, not so much. <laughs> Who doesn't like donuts though? Um, but I think uh, another part of uh, the myths is just that the police aren't approachable. A lot of people see the uniform or the car or whatever it is is a bit of a barrier and it's it's quite the opposite for me there are some cases you know if we're involved in a, a high priority or very stressful or violent call where that's not the time but most of the time most officers um, are very approachable and really like speaking to members of the public uh, especially you know if someone has a chance to say thank you once in a while 
<clears throat> it is amazing, at least for me, just a simple little thing like saying thank you or fist bump or what is um, how good that would make a police officer feel. Because we <laughs> we are definitely not emotionless people, um, even though sometimes I think we're portrayed that way. Um, what advice could you give somebody considering a career as a police officer? I think there's a few things that definitely you can do is, is number one and the most important thing is talk to people, talk to people who are in policing. Uh, I really appreciate the people um, that I knew either through family or for work um, that were police officers either with the city of Edmonton or Calgary or RCMP that I had an opportunity to kind of talk to them and pick their brains about some of the very things that you're asking me right now in this interview, right? To basically to know what you're getting into. Uh, another good step for that would to be to have a ride along, right? Is to say, you know, I'm very interested in, in this career, um, but I would like to experience what that, like you're asking before, what that typical day looks like for, for an officer out on patrol. Uh, as far as um, other things that people can do, is just life experience. Uh, I know that, you know, having a criminology degree or uh, some other degree related to law enforcement from college or university is, is beneficial in the education that you get. But just becoming a more well-rounded person, I think, um, is really important to get life experience, to kind of push yourself outside of your comfort zones uh, sometimes in uh either whether it be travel or volunteering for different groups or just meeting different people from different walks of life. Uh, my experience in Korea benefited me in so many ways um, and just being able to see things through other people's eyes a little bit better and to be more patient and more understanding um, with people that I talk to. So the more you can do those types of things, I think the, the more benefit you'll have coming into this type of career for sure. Excellent. Is there anything that I didn't ask you may, I may have missed through through this interview, or do you think we, we covered everything? Well, I, one other thing I'd like to add, though, too, is as much as I said, you know, it is a difficult career, and it is. Um, it is, uh, you know, a job I love very much. Um, and it's because there's opportunity to do so many things. It can be a very rewarding job many times. Um, and the things, you know, the difficult things, there are youth in my program that aren't successful, unfortunately. Uh, and it's, it's really tough sometimes. And you got to be okay with the fact that you did the best that you could and tried as hard as you could. It just wasn't the time for that person. Um, and you have to be okay with that because uh, if you can't let that stuff go, it'll, it'll eat at you for sure. But like I said, is this, this is a great job. Um, and anybody looking in to get into this career, I think, you know, you just need to do your research getting into it um, and understand how, how good of a job it is. Um, and don't let other people, uh, criticism of police from certain people or um, stereotyping police in a negative manner, uh, influence your decision in that. Just actually talk to the people who do the work. Excellent. Well, with that, Kendall, I just want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank you, Kim. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to the Job Talk podcast. For more information, please visit us at thejobtalk.com.